0: Hi, I am Carly, Recovered Alcoholic. Welcome to North Star Big Book. I am super excited to introduce our new series where I get to invite a member of Alcoholics Anonymous who also loves a big book to join us on our podcast and share with us a part of the big book that is meaningful to them and help us see it from their eyes. And I have to tell you, normally I'm not excited to do anything because I don't want to ever do anything. But today I was actually really excited because my mother is the guest. Hello, Beverly. Hi, Carly. Alice, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Beverly Israel,
1: and I am a grateful, recovered alcoholic. Welcome, Beverly. Tell us your sobriety
0: date. November 26, 1991. So my mother got sober, thank God. Um, Seven years before me, her and my father got sober. I was 13 when they got sober, and um, it completely changed our lives. If you listen to my story, you'll hear part of that. Uh, I need to get my mom's lead on here. My mom is, if you see her in person, she's visually beautiful. She takes really good care of herself. She's a very giving human, um, really generous and kind. But if you work with her or you're her child and you're messing up, she will let you know. And I always joked and said that my mom would hit you with a two by four with the truth, but she would always put a mattress on the floor so when you fell, you didn't crack your head open. Um and I'm so excited for her to be on here. She is probably my biggest cheerleader and fan of everything I do. Listens everything, reads everything, um loves me, comments, supports, shares and has always um I'm getting a little glimpse of what it must be like to be my mom because my karma baby is giving me a run for my money and I know from her and I talking that the only way I've been able to become the person I am sober is because she's let me do my thing. And when you got a wild child like me, I'm guessing you have to kind of let them do their thing. But I will say that the biggest gift she ever gave me besides her own sobriety is when she told me from another fellowship that she got help that I, um, she couldn't help me anymore. And when my mom said she couldn't help me anymore, I knew that I had nowhere else to go, except for to God and you guys. So welcome Beverly. Thank you. What page are we gonna be on? Okay, so we're gonna start on page 54. Okay, tell us why you chose this area. Okay, so we're gonna talk
1: about um, where to find God. And um, when I was a child, I'm grateful to say that my mom taught me to have a good relationship with God. And that's what I called it. I didn't know about higher power at the time, but I called my God, God. And as a child, my mom would tell me to talk to God like my friend, you know? So every night when I went to bed and put my head on the pillow, I would ask God to keep my family safe. If I was having a test in school the next day, I'd I'd ask him to help me. And so I'm grateful that I had that relationship with God. But once I picked up drugs and alcohol, I turned my back on God because I didn't think God would want anything to do with me anymore because I became a liar, a cheat, and a thief. And I hated myself, and I knew that God would not be proud of me. And so the only time I called on God was when I was in a jackpot, and I would say, God, if you get me out of this, I'll never do it again.
0: Right. And I you never... had that shame. You had that shame. That shame. From the relationship.
1: Yes. So when I finally was confronted with my alcoholism by my mother and sent to Jewish Family Services and saw a therapist, and she you know, gave us an assessment and told me I was an alcoholic, and they sent me to the Cleveland Clinic for outpatient treatment, um, They told me there on the first day of treatment that, oh, I had all these problems, and how could I ever get sober? And they said, take all your problems. They made me make a God box and put all my problems in my God box and give them to God. And they told me that God could handle all the problems, and I didn't have to worry about them anymore, and I could take them back one at a time when I was ready to deal with them. And all the years that I was drinking and would get in a jackpot and I'd change what I drank or I'd change who I hung out with or I'd change everything that I could externally, I never asked God to help me not to drink. I didn't know, you know, to do that. But once I went to treatment, they told me to do that. And they said when I made it through that day to thank Him at night. And so.
0: You know what? They- what I'm thinking. I never asked God for that either. I had a very similar relationship with God that you did. When I was growing up, you told me about God when you got sober really. And when I, got, when I started using, I didn't want to have anything to do with God because I thought he, God didn't want to have anything to do with me. And I only asked for help when I was in trouble. But I don't think I asked God for help because I didn't want help from God. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want God to help me with that because I didn't really want to stop. Right. Yeah,
1: I think that's true for me too or I didn't even think about it. I mean, the thought of my life without alcohol was crazy. Like I thought alcohol was my solution, not realizing that it really was my problem. So once they told me that to to ask God every day to keep me sober and to thank him at night, um, it was easy for me to reestablish that relationship with God. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, I tell my girls when I sponsor, especially girls that have a hard time with the whole God thing. And a a lot of people in the rooms do. But you know what? Step one tells us what our problem is. And step two is our solution. And the solution is going to God. You know, God is our solution. And whether we like that or not, you know, I always tell my girls that, If you don't believe, just all you have to do is have the willingness to believe. That's it. And I always say, borrow my God. Because listen, Carly, you know better than anybody. When I was out there drinking and drugging, God was in the driver's seat. I mean, I drove drunk all the time with my two beautiful children in the car. And the fact that I never killed anybody or killed my children, you know, is God. It's all God. And I, you know, I truly believe that God saved me to be a purpose to, to help others. So that's, you know, that's where I'm at. So, so
0: take us on 54. Where are we going to start?
1: Okay, I'm going to start in the bottom paragraph where it says, imagine life without faith. Go for it. Where nothing left but pure reason, it wouldn't be life. But we believed in life. Of course we did we could not prove life in the sense that you can prove a straight line as the shortest distance between two points yet there it was could we still say the whole thing was nothing but a mass of electrons created out of nothing meaning nothing whirling on to a destiny of nothingness of course we couldn't the electrons themselves seemed more intelligent than that at least so the chemist said hence we saw that reason isn't everything neither is reason as most of us use it, entirely dependable, though it emanate from our best minds. What about people who prove that man could never fly? Yet we had been seeing another kind of flight, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems. I want to stop
0: right there for a second. I love that they talk right here on 55 about people who rose above their problems, that we see it. And that's a reminder for me as a member of Alcoholics Anonymous to show my problems to other people and show how I'm walking through them with God. Because if I just show up at meetings or virtually show up at meetings and just say my life is easy and perfect and awesome and wonderful, then people are going to feel isolated because they're not going to want to share with me their struggles. And I, I pay attention to the people in AA who are ahead of me, who go through really hard times and how they do it. And when they tell me that God helps them through it. So keep going with that.
1: Absolutely. I agree with you a hundred percent. You know, I learned early on in my sobriety from a member of my home group at the time who is no longer with us, Larry Shulman. And he used to stand up at meetings and just dump what was going on with him. You know, whatever happened during the day. And he used to say over and over, A problem shared is a problem cut in half. And it doesn't mean anyone's gonna give you a solution or tell you what to do, but just saying it and letting people know, like you say, life isn't perfect, you know, but you don't have to drink over it. And
0: letting others see that the way we are walking through it is with our higher power.
1: I agree because for me, you know, people at the podium have been my biggest examples. Like I've seen people stand up there and talk about, living through death in their family, living through cancer, living through chemo, living through... Yeah, relationships. Yes, everything, yeah. and not having to drink, and that's such an example. It
0: says right there, read that. They said... They said, God made
1: these things possible, and we only smiled. We had seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Okay, so now, then when I go on, this is where we find God, and, you know, I love that, Bill and Bob wrote this and just knew exactly where God was for and us. I want
0: to stop you for one second because on page um, on page 45 in yes. the Agnostics there's a mini paragraph where it says lack of power that was our yep. dilemma so they identified the problem right you said is the physical allergy mental obsession the solutions that we need a power because we're not big enough and it says We had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves obviously but where and how were we to find that power and i always tell the women i work with i write page 55 after that question because the book is actually going and it says well that's exactly what this book is about its main object so the main object of this book is not to tell us (laughs) Its main object is to enable us to find a power greater than ourselves, which will solve our problems. So I want to remember on 55 that you're about to take us to the place where it's going to tell me how to find this God that's going, to be, that's going to solve my problem.
1: Right. I mean, after page 45, they say they don't talk about alcohol anymore. The whole rest of the book is about how do you find God?
0: And so how to unblock a- yourself so you can get connected again.
1: Right. So it says, actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental ideal of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other, it is there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself.
0: I usually have a woman read that out loud to me when I'm taking her through the first three steps and she usually starts crying at this point because it's so, it's like, it melts the ice when you have to actually say out loud that it's deep down within us, that it's hidden by all this stuff we've been carrying around, which is why we're about to do the fourth step, but that within us, um, do you know the, the story from Roe Eugene? Can, are you able to tell it or do you need me to? What story are you I'm talking a little about? The girl that wants to talk to her. Oh, you tell it. Okay. I was thinking a lot about Roe Eugene this morning. Roe Eugene got sober and she stayed sober and got to die sober. And she was sober like 30 plus years. And she was one of the most um, inspirational people for me and my sobriety and for a lot of us. And she always would tell this story at a podium, um, whether it's true or not. I love the idea behind it. And she said that there was a little girl who was like three or four And when her parents told her that um, they were going to have a new little baby and that she was going to be a big sister, she was really excited. And she said, I want as soon as the baby is here, I want to um, be alone with the baby and talk to the baby. And the parents thought it was funny and cute. And then they're like, Okay, sure. And every single time people would talk about the baby or, you know, the little girl saw the mom's belly getting bigger. She would say the same thing over and over. I want to talk to the baby alone. And after the first couple of times, it didn't seem cute anymore. They were actually concerned. Like, why does our daughter want to talk to this little, to the teeny newborn? They reached out to their pediatrician. Their pediatrician said, I'm sure it's innocent. You, you know, you could put the door open a little bit and let her go in the room and you have the monitor on and you can sit in the other room and you can listen and make sure that everything's okay. And so the whole plan was when the baby comes home and she's a big sister, she'll go alone and talk to her little brother in, in the room. And as soon as they brought the baby home, the little girl said, I want to go talk to the baby alone. And so they put the baby in the crib and they put the little sister in the room and they shut the door almost all the way. And the parents went in their room to listen on the monitor. And the sister got really close to the crib and she said, will you tell me about God? I'm beginning to forget. Oh. And I, like every time I tell, I know, I, I know because whether it's true or not, I believe that Roe believed it was and I've asked her before and she said that she was that little girl and that we're all born with that perfect knowledge of God, like with that idea inside of us that we're perfect. Like in my house, I have painted on my stairwell so my kids see every single morning when they walk on the stairs, you're a perfect child of God. And that was written on my first big book and I thought... This is the craziest place I've ever been. Where am I? I have it tattooed on my arm because I've come to a place where I truly believe it, and I tell my kids, "There's nothing you can do, or not do, to lose that image of God in you." And that I didn't know that, I didn't understand that kind of love, but this book is telling us that it's within us. So we, right. and I, I agree
1: that. For me, that's what happened to me where it says it it may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things. And for me, that was alcohol and drugs and material things. And yeah, that's when I thought, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me. And I can see that so clearly now. And when you said you, when girls read that, they start to cry because it's so true that he's always been there inside and we just lose that.
0: I hear people yeah. saying that the worst time to stop praying and working on your relationship with God when you're not feeling connected is when you're not feeling connected. The reason right. why we're not feeling connected is because we are, we have blocked ourselves off. Obscure means blocked. So we're the ones who block like you and I are both great parents, I think. And I know for a fact that when my son calls me or FaceTimes me or messages me, it brings joy to my life. Mm-hmm. And when it's not even for anything, just like, I love you. I just want to tell you I love you. Imagine that with God times a million. And that's right. how God feels. But we only go to God when we're in trouble or we need something. And this is about to introduce us to a life where we get to go to God all the time. Right.
1: So then it says, we finally saw that faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. Oh, and that's what I was going to say earlier. When, I, when my girls tell me that they don't believe in God or they don't have a relationship, I always say, how do we get to know each other? Like, how do I get to know you? We talk, we share. You tell me your stuff, I tell you my stuff. It's the same for me and God or you and God, you know? The more you talk to God on a daily basis, the closer you get and the more you come to rely on God. And it's a so, connection,
0: it's a relationship, and it's about showing up, which is why, you know, fast forward, step 11 is about, I mean, out of every 30 days I meditate and do my reading, I feel connected maybe two days, and I the other 28 days I'm just sitting there showing up, and it's about showing up for that relationship. Sometimes relationships are just about showing up. Right. And showing that this matters, you matter so much that I'm not only going to show up when I need something.
1: right sometimes we had to search fearlessly but he was there he was as much a fact as we were we found the great reality deep down within us in the last analysis it is only there that he may be found it was so with us
0: i want to identify that they capitalize the words great reality because those are other words that we can use to talk about right there's other they say higher power they say universe They say all sorts of things, creator, presence, infinite power, love. And the reason why I want to remind each other that is because they're using the word he a lot. But remember, this was written in the 1930s. And if that pronoun blocks you or even the word God blocks you, then replace it with whatever you need to replace it with. Because the idea isn't about whatever is blocking you. It's about something so much bigger. And when I started what I was told, because I was like, look, I believe in God. I just don't know how to have a relationship with God at this point. And I was told the question, what do you need God to be? Right. And I had just gotten sober and I didn't know how to do anything. And I said, I need courage. Like, I don't know how to do anything. And they said, okay, then God is courage. So for now on... Whenever you ask for help, you're asking courage to help you with whatever you have to do. And so I had to go to the meetings, but I asked God to give me the courage to walk in the room. And I had to go to whatever I had to do, I had to do it. I had to do the footwork, but God gave me the courage I needed to show up. I agree.
1: And that's one thing that I picture in my mind when I'm afraid or I have to walk into a meeting where I don't know anybody and I I, I feel a little insecure. I picture God with his arms around me actually carrying me into the meeting and i tell that to my girls too that you know you're never alone god is always there if you are afraid or in fear picture god holding you and i I don't know i'm sure you remember at saint joe's the big hands in the chapel and i always like think of sitting in those hands you know and being protected by god so
0: and the idea that we never have to be alone again ever ever that that is our new best friend and that the voice inside of us and i always share this with the people i work with that we all have voices inside of us this is totally not my own words there's a woman that we both know and she says she says to an audience um how many of you uh, there's two voices inside every single one of us one's the voice of our soul our god and one's the voice of our mind our head And then she says, by show of hands, how many of you um, are able to recognize the two voices and half the hands go up? And she says, I bet the hands that didn't go up, you said to yourself, I don't hear voices. And, you know, we all laugh because we all heard that voice in our head. And she identifies that the way she identifies the two voices is that one voice uses the word you and one voice uses the word I. And the word that The one that uses the word I is the one that wants something for me right now. What can I get right now to feel good or to not feel yucky? And that's like the head, mind, you know, mental obsession voice. And then the God voice, the soul voice is the one that talks to me in you. And so, for example, when my alarm goes off, I have five alarms that go off in the morning. It's 6.01, (laughs) 6.02, 6.03, 6.05. When my alarm goes off, the voice in my head goes, oh my God, I'm so tired. It's pitch black out. There's no reason on earth I should be up right now. I'll do this later. And that, that's all I. And then I hear the voice saying, you said you were gonna wake up. You know you'll feel better if you do it now. You're gonna be too tired later. And that's the voice of God. And the way I can tell besides the you and the I, is that the voice of God always wants what's best for me in the long run. And the voice of myself always wants what's best for me right now. Mm-hmm. And it's really interesting because we're able to identify that when, when we get unblocked. And so one of the gifts that happened down the road in, in the program is if I keep doing this work, I'm going to be able to identify those voices. I even told one of my sponsors to text back and forth with herself, with her voices, so she could figure out what to do. And she did. Oh, really? That's a good
1: idea. Well, I, rem- I remember and love that um, when I was new and telling my sponsor, I had this problem and this problem and these bill collectors and the, you know all this stuff. And she told me, don't, I'm gonna get this wrong. Don't tell your God how many problems you have. Tell your problems how big your God is. I like you know? that. And it's God
0: true. is the only power that's greater than the mental obsession
1: right i mean and then when you think about when i think about it if god could remove from me the obsession to drink which was had me like in jail i i I didn't know how i can get through an hour let alone 24 hours without drinking if he could remove that obsession i realized that he could do so much more for me you know and so
0: and it promises us all our problems
1: right you want to keep going Yeah, it says, we can only clear the ground a bit. If our testimony helps sweep away prejudice, enables you to think honestly, encourages you to search diligently within yourself, then if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. With this attitude, you cannot fail. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. And those are beautiful promises, you know, because I love the idea of the broad highway and.
0: Right, because in AA, we hear well-meaning people say like, oh, the road gets narrower. And I know what they mean. It gets narrower in terms of the things that I'm allowed to do in, in order to not be present. Like, i I'm no longer going to do this. I'm no longer gonna do that. But what they're saying here, the promise of the book says that it's going to get broader. Like, our lives are going to get so much bigger and so full. And whenever I want to complain about how busy it is, I have to stop and remember, I used to have no life. My life used to be very, very small and miserable and dark, and now it's going to get big. And one of the things I love in that paragraph you just read, Sarah and I always focus on that sentence, with this attitude, you cannot fail. It doesn't right. say you might not fail. It says you cannot fail. Right. The book is telling me with the attitude that I'm going to do the work to, to unbury God that I've hidden and work with God, that with that attitude, with me and God, We're not going to be able to fail, which is amazing.
1: Right. And that attitude, they say, is sweep away prejudice, think honestly, and search diligently within yourself, you know? So with those attitudes, we cannot fail. And I just love that. It's
0: great. Are we stopping? Do you want to go? Yeah. That was beautiful. I loved it. Thank you. Doesn't everybody love my mom? Say thank you. I love you, Carly, and I'm so proud of you, and
1: I love going for walks and listening to you and listening to you doing these podcasts and hearing... The big book come alive and you yeah. make it come alive and make I, it so attractive.
0: can't wait to keep interviewing people. I want to have the entire big book from the first page to 164 done by all these people in my life that I love. And you will. Thank you. I don't doubt it for one minute. You are my best everything. Thank you. So I love
1: you so And I much.
0: honestly don't know where any of us would be without you taking that courageous step into the room. So thank you.
1: But look at our family today. I, I mean, my mother is
0: sober. we got a ago. lot of alcoholics in our house. Yes,
1: we, we do. can have a Mama.
0: meeting and a family reunion easily.
1: Yes. I, I remember hearing a message once where uh, the woman at the podium said, alcoholism doesn't run in our family. It gallops in our family.
0: Our family tree is riddled with it. Yes. I love you, Mama. I love you, too. Thanks. Have a good one, <laughs> Bye.